No crying. There's no crying in baseball. card counters at the blackjack table. We're going to turn the odds on the casino. What's up, friends? Welcome to episode number 33 of Terrace Talk. Um, after a five, six-week hiatus, there has been a flurry of MLB and Brewer news. Um, decided to get the boys together for uh, for a pod finally. So, uh, fellas, how we doing? going on fellas it's good to be back uh inching closer closer and closer to pitchers and catchers reporting um we got we got a we got a lockout to deal with but uh we'll get into that but overall doing pretty well mitchell how you doing buddy yeah no i'm good uh obviously uh, the bucks have been starting to play better but and and obviously our packers are rolling but it's just not the same without brewers baseball so i'm glad as i was dozing off last night i had eight phone messages going off because it was all caps hunter renfro so we're back in business and I'm excited for this pod to talk about uh, what we've done so far this off season. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, you, you already hinted at it, but the, the big thing, I think most people tuning into this podcast going to want to know our takes on uh, the trade, the big trade that just went down kind of a buzzer beater before the lockout. I think it might've been the last like MLB transaction um, before the lockout technically started and of course, it was our very own David Stearns making another heady uh, move, uh, just a dominant beast at his job. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, we got Hunter Renfro from the Boston Red Sox. Um, in return, we gave them Jackie Bradley Jr., um, Alex Benellis, and David Hamilton. Um, so obviously, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners know, JBJ, disappointing year. Um, honestly, an historically poor season at the plate solid defender um but let's let's kick it off i guess uh first hunter renfro coming to milwaukee what's your initial take what was your take when you saw it and uh grade the trade i want to hear the the grades on this one yeah i mean i i was actually asleep when this went down so i woke up at six for work this morning and read through all the texts from you guys and scrolled through twitter and uh <clears throat> I think this is the first trade that I've seen like a universal like Brewers conglomerate, like excited about a trade. I didn't see one negative thing about the Brewers getting rid of JBJ and adding a Renfro. So feels good. I didn't think we'd ever get rid of that terrible contract with JB. I mean, I don't want to say terrible, but he just performed so bad. Um, And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the cost of getting rid of that $12 million deal, um, was unfortunately hometown guy, Alex Benellis, fourth round pick from Louisville. Um, I think 
that was probably the the main piece that Boston wanted back in the deal. And that was why they were willing to, well, for starters, take back JBJ. Um, he's kind of a folk hero there. Um, I saw <laughs> some of their fans excited to get him back. Um, I don't know if they tuned into uh, a single brewer at bat, but I mean, he's got some work to do to turn it around there. Um, <laughs> um, the, the point being the, the cost of getting rid of that contract was really Alex Benellis, in my opinion. Absolutely. 100%. And I jokingly, the first thing I thought of was like, oh my God, we have another Jack dude on our team. Cause you know, me and, and, and guys that love their squat racks. So um, Hunter's, Hunter's a big dude. Like, He's a dude that is is probably going to strike out quite a bit, although I will mention that um, his strikeout percentage has been trending in the right direction the last two years. So back um, in his last year for San Diego, he was up in the 30%. Last year, it was down to 22, um, while still maintaining the fact that he hits the ball harder than just about anyone in the league. Um, for, for fans that aren't too familiar with Hunter Renfro, he has a cannon of an arm. Um, his defensive metrics aren't as good as what I think he actually is worth just because of his arm strength. Uh, but essentially what we're doing is we are really replacing almost identical to Avi's production with Hunter Renfro. He's a big power guy. Um, when he's not going well, he's going to strike out a bunch, but the dude's just going to hit absolute missiles. And if there was ever a time for Pato to actually invest in shatterproof glass, now would be that fucking time. So I'll make sure to tweet at them a ridiculous amount and for them not to tweet back at me, but it's their loss. So I'm talking, dude. Yeah, he is a – what is he like? I think he's like got to be like 6'6", 250. Yeah, dude, he's, he's a only, fucking monster. So he, he's only 6'1", um, but he is 235. So he's he, he looks really big when he's, uh, when <laughs> the he's myth of- out there. Yeah, the myth of Hunter Renfro is just like this appearance as to maybe it's just because he hits monster. Oh, he's jacked too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He, but he doesn't yeah, wear batting he, gloves. He hit, what was that, boss? He doesn't wear batting gloves. I think that makes him look bigger. Really? And he's another uh, Mississippi State Bulldog with uh, with Woody. I wonder, they must have played together. They're both, how old's Woody? Renfro's 29. Woody's what? 28. Yeah. So they, they probably spent some time together in college. Maybe that, you know, Woody had some intel. He's probably bow hunting in his hometown anyway. Had no idea oh, yeah. what happened. But um, you can expect Thomas Rhett and Midland to be playing in the locker room for, for on repeat. Yeah, dude. And and like you said, I mean, it's it's pretty uncanny. Like the almost like exact replacement, if you're just looking at numbers to Avisel Garcia, I mean. Renfro, he hit 260 with 31 home runs in 816 OPS, which on the Brewers, I think, would be the best on their on their team um, last year. Um, only only stole one bag. I mean, he doesn't steal a whole lot of bags, but he's a power guy. He almost drove in 100 runs. Um, and like you said, he's improving his K percentage. He was in the 41st percentile. Um, so kind of middle of the road that way. Uh, but the two, the three things really that, scream out that are dark red on his baseball savant page his max exit velocity is 97th percentile um so he is when he makes contact that ball is traveling <laughs> and the the spray chart i don't know how much i mean if you overlay it with amfam um i would assume that a few more balls would get out there uh his expected slug 84th percent barrel 
He's barreling up baseballs, 88th percentile. Um, like you said, absolute cannon of an arm. Defensive metrics probably don't line up uh, to what he actually does in right field. Um, but it's really the perfect replacement for Avisail Garcia um, at about $6 million less in next season if Renfro gets the $7.5 million that he's owed in ARB uh, estimated. And then you don't commit to him for four years like the Marlins had to do with Avi. Um, so it was really just uh, an incredible baseball move for not only the Brewers baseball-wise, but financially as well to go utilize that money elsewhere. I know it's a small sample size too, but in 40 at-bats or about 40 at-bats in his career at AmFam, his OPS is like 1.175. Um, so it just kind of goes to show that um, he's had some initial success um, at, at AmFam. So it'll be nice for him to play, play his home games there. But, you know, outside of everything that we traded in, and obviously, you know, we wish all the guys that we got rid of the best. I think we were all pretty high on Benellis, um, so it'll be fun to watch him, and, and hopefully he gets a shot in Boston. Touched on in, a, in an article today is it allows now more flexibility today or for this offseason for them to go add uh, essentially what I would consider a plus DH because I think, and we'll get into it more when the new CBA comes, but now I think you really turn to does a guy like Nelson Cruz or Kyle Schwarber, that 10, 12 extra million dollars that you have, can you now go get a DH like that and now make your lineup one through nine pretty much solid up and down? So it'll be yeah. interesting to see once the lockout ends what they do with essentially that, that money saving because they know that our window is right now. You can, you can tell it by the way they talk about in their interviews that um, – they got to go and get another bat, whether it's a DH or, you know, first base or whatever. So. Yeah. And um, for those that don't know, don't know, uh, we have Hunter Renfro under team control for 2022 and 2023. Um, that was kind of hinted by David Stearns and some of the quotes that came out um, where essentially they knew that they were giving up a potential uh, plus power bat at the major league level with Alex Benellis. Um, but Renfro and his current contract, what he can offer to the major league team this second um, fits the current window that we're under. So hopefully that screams that we're really going to attack the next two years to chase that title before kind of uh, fluctuating before you have to pay Woodruff Burns, all those guys coming up with the arms uh, before they cash in for their big deals. Um, I, I don't know. And I didn't know much about David Hamilton. Um, he was a top 30 guy. I don't know, uh, Mitch L or bus. If you guys have any Intel on what we gave up there. Yeah. Uh, Hamilton was a speedster. He's a shortstop, which I feel like we're clogged at shortstop regardless of its prospects or Adamus. Um, so it felt like if there was a position at the minor league level, we could get up, it would be a shortstop. But I would say that Hamilton was probably the fastest guy in the Brewers organization from top to bottom. Um, he's a guy where if he can consistently find a way to get on base, he'll at the MLB level, he would be, you know, like a 30 plus stolen base guy. He's got that type of speed. So uh, he'll be an interesting prospect to watch, too. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it was a move that I felt like we had to make. And as, as soon as it was made, the gut reaction for me was let's fucking go. 
yeah, you get your right fielder for the next two years um, that you would assume he's going to hit 250 plus, hit 25 plus bombs conservatively um, and have a cannon of an arm out there. So it's, it's someone that you literally slot in every single day in right field for two seasons. Yeah, he's projected to, according to baseball reference, uh, 27 bombs. Okay. What is the, uh, do they have the average and OPS on there? Uh, they have average at batting average 234, OBP 301, 464 slug, 765 OPS. I think that's pretty low. Yeah, so they're projecting a little bit of regression. Um, but Streamers has them a little higher. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what those are. Those are, they're good tools to look at, but. Uh, what does streamers have, Matt? Are you, do you have uh, 787 OPS, 238, 305, 42 slash with a 107 WRC. So above league average. Perfect. Yeah, man. I mean, it's a good deal. He's he's a good player. Um, I think, and, and this could be wrong. This is like, because I've never sat down and watched Hunter Renfro play for 162. But he seems like a, a guy that can carry offenses for – a couple weeks at a time, kind of like Corey Hart. <laughs> like he's, I, I just remember seeing like highlights, like a two week stretch in Boston where he was just popping missiles night after night. Um, so it, he seems like he might be uh, one of those type of guys. And you have to also know in his 31 homers, you wonder, and, and I didn't watch the Red Sox games that closely with as hard as he hits the ball, how many of those balls that he hit were absolutely missiles off of the monster that would have been out elsewhere because of, you know how yeah. dumb it is. So, right. Yeah, he's coming to one of the better hitter ballparks, uh, climate controlled parks in the league. So, um, it's pretty exciting. I'm, now I'm genuinely curious if him and Woody are our buddies, <clears throat> considering they played college ball together. Um, cool. Well, we can get on to uh, the next piece of news. Um, there was. Uh, a handful of minor transactions. Uh, and I guess, I guess let's jump into it. Uh, Pedro Severino um, was, I think the next biggest move that we had made uh, after letting Manny Pena go to the Atlanta Braves since the last time we spoke uh, on a two year, $8 million deal. Uh, the Brewers went uh, free agent signing with Pedro Severino from the Orioles. And it, it screams like he's going to replace, you know, exactly what Manny did at the plate, probably more talented offensively. Um, and we just hope and pray that Charlie Green works his magic defensively, just like he did with Omar. So I guess um, I like the signing. I obviously missed the going to miss the dugout presence and leadership and defense that Manny Pineapple presented. Uh, but this is another one of the moves where we, saved a couple million dollars and looks like we're just plugging in production. What before we go, before we go into, into Pedro, could we say that Manny is arguably just one of the all around like greatest dudes that we've watched consistently in terms of Brewers? Can you think of another guy that was just more beloved between the fan base and the, and the players? No, I don't. I mean, he's like the, the perfect like baseball role player, like, very solid back, like aircrafts. He, he was beloved in his one year. Manny was with us for a while, man. And he came up in the bigs, like got his first real crack at it with us at a later age. But no, he's awesome. I mean, the Hotel California videos will be missed. Absolutely. 
those videos are electric. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, Mitch, I don't know if you were going to go into your, your thoughts on Severino. Um, otherwise, I can kind of read off some of his numbers that he had in 2021. Yeah, just real quick. I mean, the biggest thing that you pointed out is from an offensive standpoint, he's almost identical to Manny, like you said, maybe a little better. But the big thing to note will be he was statistically one of the worst defensive catchers, but it feels similar like when Omar came over, he was that same way too, where you almost have to trust our catcher development. So if you can get him to flip just with, I would see Omar probably taking more of a presence too, maybe Maybe it's, you know, Pedro playing once every three or four days instead of the whole lefty-righty split that we did with Manny and Omar. Um, but, yeah, that'll be the big question mark for him is uh, how does he improve defensively? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, the, <laughs> the framing metrics are poor. Um, as a catcher, you know, he's not extremely fast, as you would expect. Walks a, a little bit. Um, another guy that hits the ball hard, dude, uh, 93rd percentile. Um, so when he's making contact, he's cracking it pretty good too. Um, I think he's a perfectly competent backup catcher, uh, for what we got him at. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think Omar is going to ever play lefty against a lefty starter. He was horrendous last year. Yeah, that's true. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how, um Pedro kind of adapts defensively right cool and then we got uh we ended up getting Mike Brousseau uh from the Tampa Bay Rays which was a, a pretty interesting signing um I think he's a guy uh that we can expect as a major league bench piece um that super utility guy uh that hits from the left side if I'm not mistaken um, had kind of a down year last year. I think he kind of got lost in the mix there with all that talent in Tampa Bay up the middle um, with Brandon Lau and Wander Franco and even early on Willie Adamas. Uh, but this is a guy that plays everywhere um, and uh, might be a valuable bench piece. So I don't know if you guys had any, uh, any scorching takes about Brissot other than seems like a classic under the radar Stearns move that in the middle of May when we need to spell a couple weeks injury guy, uh, you know, Willie, you know, uh, sprains a hamstring or something. Uh, Brousseau will get plugged in there and make a couple big plays. I'll be like, wow, Stearns is the man. <laughs> yeah. And, and just real quick, one back thing on, on Pedro and, and bus, this was to your point last year, Pedro had an 820 OPS against left-handed pitching. So it's probably safe to say that he's going to, he's going to play when, uh, a lefty starting. Yeah, I think that'll play. I wonder, can you quickly pull up uh, how Renfro hits lefties? Does he absolutely just murder them too? Um, yeah, and while you're looking that up, uh, boss, I don't know. <laughs> Brousseau, I mean, under the radar deal, I think we were like kind of like, we were at that point very dry with news. And, um, you know, it's it seems like a classic Brewers deal. Yeah, Brousseau was the guy that uh, was throwing at – or Chapman was throwing at his head, and then he hit that bomb in the playoffs against him, if I do yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. He, That's he my was, one memory of him as well. He was great that year too. Yeah. In the short season. Yeah, he was. And I had his numbers pulled up from that short season. Um, one moment here. Um, 
I mean, he only had 100 at plate appearances, but he hit 300, 302. He had five home runs, five doubles, OPS. I mean, 36 games, 60-game year, platoon guy. But, yeah, he was really good, 936 OPS. And just kind of got lost in the mix last year. So, um, seemed, like I said, super utility guy that, that screams Brewers. So, mm, absolutely. Renfro's OPS last year against lefties was 882. So he does mash lefties. <laughs> Good luck. So we, we added two guys that absolutely mash left-handed pitching. Even more of a reason why I feel like Kyle Schwarber is a really good fit on, on this team because in off days when you have a righty starting, you could start Schwarber out in the outfield too. I know he's horrendous defensively, but. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I think that kind of covers the Brewers player transactions. Um, and I kind of slipped it in earlier uh, for those that have kind of let the NFL, NBA consume their lives and haven't been entirely paying attention to the, the Brewers or the MLB transactions. Uh, the Brewers did lose Abisail Garcia. Um, so we kind of mentioned that in the last pod. Uh, that was a possibility. Uh, we talked about the qualifying offer, if we would offer it or not. Uh, turns out I, I would much rather have Hunter Renfro on $7.5 million for the next two years uh, rather than one year, $18 million for Avisail Garcia. Um, another tip of the cap to David Stearns in that regard. <laughs> 100%. Um, secondly, like I said, we lost Manny Pineapple um, to uh, – to the Atlanta Braves, um, two years, eight million, and I think we were pretty upset. As much as we, uh, you know, as upset you can get at a backup catcher transaction, um, <laughs> but it was like the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We got that notification that we were getting Pedro Severino at less than half the cost of Manny Pena, um, and I think organizationally, I think that makes sense if you trust what Charlie Green did with Omar transfers over to Pedro. So if you're looking right there, that's, you know, $13 million or so that was shaved off for what you're looking at. Um, pretty similar production in both spots. Um, and then we just announced that we would not be retaining Daniel Vogelbach or John Curtis. Um, so I'll let both of you kind of uh, go where you want to go with, uh, with that news there. Yeah, I think we can start with Vogie. I mean, Vogie and uh, Rowdy, I mean, are pretty similar players. I think they just took the better lefty out of the two. Um, I think you guys would both agree. And Rowdy as a lefty hits bombs, and we saw it in the playoffs. He was pretty big for us. So, I mean, it's virtually two of the same players. So I'm not going to keep both of them around. Right, and Rowdy's a little bit better defensively too. So. Right. John Curtis was the kind of the interesting one to me because we had him, we could have had him. I think he was a pre-arb guy. So we could have had him for like the next three or four years. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it seemed like they, maybe they didn't like what they saw, but that one was just kind of interesting because he never really got a footing with us because he pitched maybe five games before he needed Tommy John surgery. Um, so maybe that was just one of those things where, they're confident in the way they can develop relievers and they didn't want to sit around it and wait for him. Right. Yeah. I think that one was uh, the more surprising of the two. Um, obviously Bogey had some pretty fun moments with us, uh, but 
ultimately it is what it is. I mean, hopefully Rowdy is not our everyday first baseman. Um, and we'll touch on kind of our wish list later. Um, but he's, he's good enough to be if we need him to be. Um, whereas, I don't know, there was times where Bogey, like, he sometimes would seem overwhelmed with uh, some of the pitching that we was seeing. So uh, not very surprising. Um, like you said, Curtis, you hit the nail on the head with him. Um, didn't really, I apparently didn't want to pay him this year while he recovered um, and trusted our team's ability to go out and get bullpen arms like we always do. Yeah, I don't know if one bullpen, I just want to touch on Rex Brothers. I'm super excited for him for some reason. I know his numbers don't look great, but the dude has like electric shit from the left side. He just has to throw strikes. In the bigs, he's got like a career uh, 12K per nine, um, but his walk rate is like five, five per nine, which is not ideal. But I don't know if anyone can fix him. It's our pitching lab, so. Yeah, he's a 33-year-old guy. Um, he really hasn't had a good year since like, he was hurt in 2015, it looks like. His last full – and he was really good 2011 to 2013. I wonder how his velocity has held up. I don't know a ton about him. Um, but, yeah, it looks like his walks are an issue. Um, but, like you said, it's another guy. I mean, Hunter Strickland literally was, like, waved by the Angels before we picked him up. Right. Uh, he was throwing some crucial innings for us down the stretch. So um, never discount those depth plays by, uh, by our guy DS for sure. Absolutely. Trevor Gott is another reliever name that we got. That's an interesting to watch out for. He didn't pitch at all last year because he was hurt. Uh, he actually got hurt in 2022. So that's a small sample size there, but his last full season was 2019 with the giants. And he had about a three, one, two FIP uh, when and it was worth about a one war. Uh, for a relief pitcher, that's pretty damn good. Um, so he's another name to kind of watch out for under the radar relievers you haven't heard of. Um, so yeah, yeah, he was low key seven and oh that year in 2019. <laughs> he had one of those Brent Suter years, just hawking wings wins out of the bullpen. <laughs> um, and then lastly, another catching, we'll probably start the league in. Triple A, but uh, you never know with injuries. Brett Sullivan was signed, uh, left-handed hitting catcher, left fielder and shortstop. He's listed as on baseball reference. Interesting <laughs> versatility, played in the Rays organization. Um, career minor league guy, 27 years old, but uh, you never know. Uh, we know how good Stearns is at his job. You might see him in a Brewers uniform producing at some point next summer as well i don't know do you guys have anything on him i know bus i don't know bus was uh was digging into his minor league stats and got excited temporarily before mitchell threw water on him (laughs) i mean in in that defense as long as we don't have to watch luke malley if this is the guy they're giving a shot to over luke malley and no disrespect to luke um, he did record playoff at bats for us. We got to make sure that's noted. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, if some of that success that he happened, that happened in the minor leagues at some point could translate for a crucial at bat or two for us, um, in the middle. Of the year. Yeah. He, he honestly might never play in a Brewers uniform, but, um, the Brewers did make a move for him. So it is what it is. I'll, I'll go on here and give him his two minutes of shine on Terrace talk. 
<laughs> yeah, my, I, before I came down here, I was like, oh, we're recording a podcast tonight. And my wife was like, what are you going to talk about? I'm like, oh, you haven't heard of Brett Sullivan? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. She's going to listen to this pod and she's going to know who he is now. Sure oh, is. Uh, Sullivan. Cool. Um, <laughs> well, that being said, I think that kind of, uh, well, I guess, are there any more news and notes? Um, Sarah Goodrum, the Brewers, like hitting instructor organizationally, took a job in the Houston Astros front office. Um, so nothing, nothing really surprising there. Um, I can't remember last pod. Have the Brewers hired their coaching staff out? Yeah, they're well. The the only two that they added were the two hitting coaches, um, the one from Tampa and the one from Seattle. I don't think they were hired. Uh, by the time we co- recorded our last podcast. Yeah, so I don't – I should know. Um, I'm I'm ultimately hitting coaches don't necessarily matter a whole lot, but I guess do either of you guys know anything about them other than it's a unique situation, the Brewers hiring two hitting coaches um, to be with the major league club? Yeah, so Connor Dawson is the younger one that comes from Seattle, and Ozzie Timmons is the guy from Tampa – um, Ozzie Timmons is probably popular and known at least by some baseball fans is the, the coach that was doing a pushup every time the the race scored a run. So oh, I, I did runs, he was doing pushups. Um, I don't think he'll do that for the Brewers. He said that he would look to do something different, but, um, it's an interesting mix. I don't know of another team and maybe you guys do of another team that has done this where they have two hitting coaches, um, with both have very different styles of hitting Connor Dawson's the young analytics guy that really believes in the data and Ozzie Timmons is more of the old school feel approach kind of guy um so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of meshes well um I wouldn't put it past um David and and Craig and the guys to have figured out an awesome game plan between you know Connor excels at certain things and Ozzie excels at certain things where it just makes a lot of our hitters realize different things, but um, it's interesting because I don't think any other team has had this approach. Yeah, that's a good summary. I think that's uh, that's all that people really need to know at this point. Um, obviously, a lot of people out there got what they wished. We got uh, rid of Andy Haynes and got some new blood in, so maybe some uh, some new hitting coaches will be the answer for uh, some of the guys that underperformed last year uh, going into this year. So just something to keep an eye on. Um, cool. I think uh, we can talk briefly um, about some of the moves inside of the NL Central. Um, so teams that uh, that we're going to see 18, 19 times a year, um, our competition to making the playoffs every year. Um, most recently, uh, and a somewhat surprising move and contract, uh, the Chicago Cubs signed Marcus Stroman um, from the New York Mets, free agent signing, three-year deal for what it was, I think, $71 million um, for a team that is what we thought was a complete teardown rebuild, um, kind of a contradicting move from them, but they get a good arm in Stroman. Uh, kind of sucks. One of my personal favorite guys just to watch pitch, uh, love the emotion he throws with and how he pounds the zone with sinkers and cutters and you name it, how he varies his wind up and everything. Um, but yeah, I guess what, what was your take? It was kind of an interesting move from the Chicago Cubs there. I'm, 
I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat how I liked it, liked it, like his emotion and all his interactions on Twitter. He's now public enemy number one. When he's going to be like moonwalking off the mound, I'm going to be burning inside. <laughs> yeah. I guess when it's against your team, I mean, right. it changes a little bit. I'm still not afraid of the rotation of Marcus Stroman, Kyle Hendricks, Wade Miley, and Edbert Alizé. Yeah. Just throw that out there. Yeah, and their offense was a bunch of guys, journeyman guys last year that had career years that I don't think is sustainable. But I will say this, good for the Rickets for finally realizing that they're billionaires and spending more than $40 million on that payroll because there's no reason ever, even in a rebuild, that they should ever be below $125, $150 million. With that said, if they want to come anywhere close to competing us, they better sign Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, uh, Trevor Story, who else, whoever else is out there, just to have a chance to compete with us because that roster still isn't anywhere close to us. I mean, just want to make that clear that Marcus Stroman doesn't make – he's a good start, but he doesn't make that a NL Central competition or competitive roster. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and Wade Miley, I mean, he's got a fall-off uh, – relative age cliff at some point like you said it kind of happened for him at the end of uh 2021 anyhow um but you know like you said they got a bunch of soft tossers um Hendricks wasn't the same as he typically was uh and then they got Elzele I mean their their issue is not developing homegrown pitching um and even any star power at that so like you said a few moves away from even being worried about them as a contender um, however, the Cardinals did sign someone. Um, they got Steven Matz, four-year, $44 million deal. Um, just a lefty starter, helps the rotation out depth-wise. Um, decent arm, nothing crazy, nothing that you're going to be scared of. And us signing uh, Hunter Renfro and Pedro Severino uh, makes me feel pretty good about when we have those Steven Matz versus the Brewers matchups right now. <laughs> Yeah, the, that was always the Cardinals kind of thing last year, too, is they didn't really have the pitching. I mean, they had Jack Flaherty, but they didn't really have anyone else. Um, they were also beaten up by injury, too. But um, Mets did have a have a decent year last year, and that'll help that'll help that rotation. To be honest, I think the Cardinals are really our only competition this year, at least as the rosters kind of currently sit. Doesn't mean the yeah. Cubs can't keep adding or anything like that, but it seems like the Reds are trying to sell off now, which yeah. makes zero sense to me. Um, so it really feels like the Cardinals are our only competition at this point for the central. Yep. I agree. Uh, there's rumors about the reds. You touched on them, uh, talking about Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray moves. They've already lost Tucker Barnhart, presumably going to lose Castellanos. Um, so it seems like it's going to be like Vado, India, and, uh, is Jesse Winker a free agent yet or not quite? He's still back. He He's still made back. it to the big leagues a little bit later. So his our clock started later than usual. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Reds won't be anyone, uh, be anything. And then the the Pirates are the Pirates still. Um see, still worse. see <laughs> Yeah, they honestly might be worse, which is pretty insane, uh, considering how bad they've been recently. Yeah, because they traded Stall Jacob Stallings away, who was like a gold glove catcher for them and I feel like they moved someone else too yeah Jacob Stallings and then um 
I think while well, Brian Reynolds has been in trade rumors um, right. with the Brewers as recent as the trade deadline. So, um, yeah, the division still seems like a two-headed race uh, with the Cardinals and Brewers, just like it ended up being last year. So we'll, uh, we'll see how the rest of the offseason plays out for the rest of the NL Central. Uh, with that being said, let's take a quick break here. Uh, we'll come back kind of take a full trip around the league and talk uh, a little bit of lockout breakdown. All right. So let's take a, uh, a, a quick trip around the MLB here. Um, Want to ask you guys what moves stood out? Obviously the Mets making a lot of noise uh, Rangers doing a ton, uh, which I don't, I didn't see coming. I don't know if you guys did. Um but first, want to let you uh, go around and see uh, what kind of deals you guys thought were were home runs by teams. I mean, I'll start. I mean, I'm just as surprised of the Rangers as you are. Um, get, signing Marcus Simeon and uh, Seager up the middle. It's probably the best up the middle offensive, defensive-wise punch you could probably want. Um, I mean, I still don't think they're done yet. Um, I still think they need more offense and probably some more pitching, but Good, good for them. Yeah, there's there's two things I want to note. The first thing is when it comes to free agency, my favorite fan base of all time is probably Yankees fans as <laughs> they expect themselves to sign every single big contract out there and then cry and complain that they're never watching another Yankees game ever again just because they didn't add to their already $240 million payroll. Um, so Yankees fans are, are pretty hilarious. Um Tommy, Tommy Smokes might be the dumbest baseball. I don't even know if you can call him a baseball mind just because he's on the short porch podcast, but listening to him just brings a lot of laughs. So if you're looking for a laugh, go listen to him talk sports or baseball. Um, but the Corey Seager, Seager deal for me is by far the biggest, just because I'm going to toot my own horn, own horn here. Two years ago, I said that when it came down to paying him or Cody Bellinger, I would have gave Corey Seager $300 million and look, at he just got $325 million. So um, good, good for Texas for being one of those teams that was considered tanking, cutting payroll to go out and then spend $550 million between um, three larger contracts. So between John Gray, Corey Seager, and Marcus Simeon. So honestly, good, good for Texas. Yeah, the Rangers uh, flurry of moves stood out. Uh, and then same with the Mets, and I should mention this. I don't know how we all forgot about this when we were talking about Brewers transactions, um, but Eduardo Escobar uh, signed a deal with the New York Mets. It looked like two years, like $28 million, I want to say. Um, so the Brewers did not retain him. Um, he kind of seemed like a toss-up, maybe a guy that we would look at, uh, but with the – um, kind of come up of Luis Urias, Willie Adamas on the left side, um, it, you know, Colton Wong taking care of second base, um, kind of made sense to let him go for that money. But um, the Mets, so they go out, they get Max Scherzer um, on a three-year, I want to, what was it, like $132 million deal, uh, $43 million AAV, um, really going for it. So they're going to have Scherzer to Grom at the top of the rotation. They went out and got, like I said, Escobar, Mark Canha, and Starling Marte all in what I thought was the same day. Um, so Uncle Stevie over there did decide to open the wallet 
Um, now we'll just see how the Mets go ahead and mess up, uh, mess this up. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, they, it, I, it'll be tough for them to miss the postseason. I mean, they'll really have to screw that up. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, though, I think Atlanta probably still could be the favorite to win that division, but the Mets definitely could probably should get a wild card spot. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they did lose like Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman. Um, so they, they definitely have the top end of the rotation set. Michael Conforto. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I think when we talk about, you know, potential Brewer fits, um, he was a guy at the top of our list kind of before Renfro was signed. Um, but yeah, yeah, the Mets will be uh, a contender for sure next year. Um, Wander Franco signed like a 10-year extension for a couple hundred million dollars as a 20-year-old. So shout out to Wander over there. Um, what other big moves have happened? I mean, there's been so many. Uh, let me ask you this. Has there been any moves that you've seen where you're like, like legit upset because you wanted the Brewers to go after him for that cost? Um, honestly, not really. Uh, I mean the Chris Taylor deal, maybe just because I think Chris Taylor fits our mold, but it sounded like he was just going back to LA and it sounded like there could have been bigger offers out there. I think Chris Taylor signed a four year, $60 million deal deal with the Dodgers. I mean, Chris Taylor is definitely worth the 15, 16 AAV of that deal. Um, I will say it was interesting to me to see the Tigers, as kind of like this team that was going to go out and get a huge shortstop. And then yeah. they settled for, in my opinion, overpaying for Javi. Um, so it's just kind of one of those things where the Tigers were kind of like essentially tanking and clearing payroll to sign for this to be their free agent summer or free agent winter. And then they signed Javi Baez and, and Eduardo Rodriguez. I believe that's his last name, the old yeah. Boston pitcher. Yep. So it just felt like if I'm a Tigers fan, like, you built us up for this offseason and this is what you did type thing. So. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I don't, I don't know a whole lot of Tiger fans out there, but it seemed like they were excited. I guess if you're just, you've been bad for so long, you just want to get anyone and everyone, but Correa seemed like the, the fit there all along and to get Javi Baez instead of him is you gotta be a kick in the nuts for those guys. Put it, put it this way. Who would you rather have Javi Baez or Trevor story? I don't, th- I don't think this is even a close comparison. I would rather have Trevor story. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if that's like a common take throughout all baseball. I think there's a lot of people in all with Javi's defense and like sick. electricity, I guess. Yeah. Sick tags. I know I was trying not to chirp them there for a second, but it's <laughs> sick tags, but, uh, yeah, personally, I would take Trevor Story. The only thing with Story, I think, that scares a lot of people and maybe why his market isn't moving as fast as some of the other shortstops is his numbers away from Coors really aren't that good. And I know DJ LeMahieu kind of debunked that because his numbers weren't good away from Coors and he ended up winning the batting title for the Yankees the next year. But I think that's probably where the hesitation comes from with Story. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree there. I mean, there's there's still some big names on the market. Um, didn't yeah, Gausman, the Blue Jays are making moves. Um, they signed Kevin Gausman to five years, one ten. I mean, Robbie, Robbie Ray, Ray, yeah, Robbie he Ray got a big deal with the Mariners. Um, 
Trevor Story, like you said, is still out there. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Carlos Correa, all still out there. Freddie Freeman, Nick Castellanos, all still out there. Um, so there's there's still big names to uh, to be moved around here. I think the Twins signing Byron Buxton to a huge deal was kind of interesting. Seven years, hundred million, um, with a bunch of crazy ass incentives. I don't know if you guys still have that pulled up or not. I don't have it pulled up, but I think, dude, if you're the Twins, you almost have to do that, right? Like, I get the injury concern, but, like, you would hate to bring that guy up throughout your system and then say he is healthy for a four- or five-year stretch. He's one of the better players in baseball when he is healthy. Yeah, and maybe that's why it's a huge incentivized deal where it's like, okay, dude, we know you're worth it, so just stay healthy and we'll pay you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like John Gray, the Bru- or the Ranger signed. Um, like I said, Rizzo's still out there. I'm just kind of scrolling down this. Verlander signed with the Astros, two years, $50 million. Um, Avi signed. Um, so the, the market moved, um, which was nice to see finally. Unfortunately, probably for the wrong reasons um, with the lockout, which we'll talk about to end the pod. Um but first, I did want to get uh, kind of our, our wish list, whether it be um, – it seems like the Brewers have the cap space for one more, like, difference maker move, whether it's with a trade or free agent. So I'm just curious as to what the both of you would like uh, to happen before pitchers and catchers report for the Brewers. Yeah, boss, I'll start. Um, so the thing I think that, that this Hunter Renfro trade made me realize is that I don't think we're going to trade Josh Hader. I went into the offseason thinking that he was going to be a guy that we traded, but now the way that they've kind of cleared um, salary a bit and our, our salary cap projections right now is around 95, 98. I don't think we have to move Hader. With that being said, I, I mean, obviously I would love a guy like Chris Bryant. I don't think we are in his market. Um, but that being said, there's three guys uh, between DH or right field that you can just kind of move around outfielders to, to then end up being DH. But my three names that I would like would be Kyle Schwarber's one, which I mentioned earlier, Michael Conforto, which I also mentioned he, both of those guys are left-handed outfielders that can play on the opposite side of Renfro when, when they need days off. Um, and then Nelson Cruz obviously would be another one year higher AAV that you could have for your DH. Yeah. Nelson Cruz is mine too. I mean, I think I said it on the last pod. Um, yeah. He was on a one year deal at 13 million last year and I'm sure he'd kind of match. I mean, he's 40, 41, almost 42 years old. Um, but bring him home. It'd be a good cap to end his career. Just to add another bopper into our lineup. Yeah, I like the idea of Cruz. Um, yeah, former Brewer farmhand. Get him back for his final year. That'd be a pretty cool story. Um, I I kind of have my mindset on Schwarber. <laughs> and that's if we obviously don't get Matt Olson, which we could briefly talk about as well. But um, Schwarber, let's see what he's projected here on MLB trade rumors. And they do a, a decent job of projecting these contracts. Um when you're looking at Swarber, he's projected four years, 70 million. So 70 million divided by four, looking at $17.5 million. If we're at 95 million right now, 
Um, I mean, in our window. Yeah, in our even if you do like two for like thirty eight or two for like thirty five or something like that. I mean, I would I would absolutely love Schwarber, um, especially with the looming DH. I mean, to to have that pop in the middle of our lineup, you get Yelich anywhere close to form, Renfro, Schwarber. You obviously got Willie and uh, Colton Wong up top, Lorenzo Kane at the bottom, setting the setting the table. Um, you got a pretty dynamic lineup if you uh, add another 35 home runs, 40 home runs from Kyle Schwarber there. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like we're one piece away from a lineup perspective, and, and obviously our rotation's good, and I'm sure they'll add another bullpen piece, but, you know, we're getting Devin Williams back, um, so it's like our bullpen's still in good shape too. So it's like it just feels like our payroll's at 95, 98 million. We have flexibility to add an impact bat, and that's really our only glaring weakness right now. Um, in our current window, I can't see Mark or Mark telling David, hey, go get, go get someone to fill that spot. Yeah, and honestly, I don't want us spending more than like a million or two million dollars to fill out those couple relievers that we need to get. Like, we could get guys for free. I mean, we have Ethan Small coming up, like Perdomo, who knows what he can be at some point. Like, we've, we've, you know, we get guys like Justin Topa, um, and even he might be a bigger piece next year. Uh, we signed Boxberger last year to a minor league deal with uh, Camp Invite, and he ended up being an incredible piece for us. So, yeah, I have the uttermost confidence in us to find relievers on an extremely cheap deal. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, like, and when Hader reaches free agency, that dude will get a massive payday because Iglesias got four years. $58 million from the angels, which hater is significantly better than Iglesias. Yeah. So let's just talk about that for a second. What does hater get on the open market? Like six years, a hundred million. I think he might be a hundred million dollar reliever. What did Andrew Miller get? Did he ever have like a massive contract like that? I'm going to look that up, but he might be a hundred million dollar guy. <clears throat> career earnings. sorry this is great podcasting here <laughs> yeah no he never he no, never he, got a big deal no he didn't 78 million dollars i mean what does hater have one more year in milwaukee correct um two end of two, 2023 this is a second year bob yeah yeah I don't know, man. That's just, I mean, assuming like he's in the mix for NL reliever of the year. I mean, that's basically, they might as well rename the award after him at this point. <laughs> um, but if he wins a couple more of those and, and at that point, what, what would he be like 30 years old? Yeah. Well, not, not even chat Chapman was 32 and he got three years for 48. Yeah. Million. So it says, Hey, there's 27. He turns 28 oh, yeah. in April. He'll be like going into his 30 season as a free agent. Like he might get five for a (laughs) hundred. Yeah. I don't know. It's that's a fun conversation. I don't know. I think, I think one of those big market teams that like struggle with the bullpen Phillies, Yankees, I don't know at that time, who knows, but someone might drop the bag on them. Shout out Corey Knievel too, for getting 11 or 12 million for one for one year uh good to see him getting paid yeah shout out jordan lyle still getting contracts from that one half season with the brewers where he kind of was good 
<laughs> Someone just paid him $7 million. Yeah, the Orioles. He actually might have been the deal right before the buzzer. I think that went off at like 11.50 Eastern or something like that. The, the Orioles are like, all right, blank paycheck up to $7 million to, to have your arm thrown off this year. We're going to throw you eight innings every night. Just eight innings for us. <laughs> Dude, they were still throwing out uh, that former Brewers guy. Uh, Tommy Tommy Malone. Uh, Tommy Malone, too, but there was another guy, uh, Lopez, Jorge Lopez. Oh, yeah. And he was just getting shelled all last year. They just threw him out there every fifth day, though. Yeah, that team's Jorge Lopez. Yeah, and I ideally, I mean, a Matt Olson trade is, is the dream. Um, obviously would take some premier top end prospects, which I know a lot of people would, uh, most likely get rattled with. You're not going to make everyone happy. We're talking Garrett Mitchell, Bryce Terang, Aaron Ashby, uh, Sal Freelich, uh, you name it. Three of those guys would probably have to be in a deal of that nature, but, um, adding a MVP caliber first baseman, um, would, uh, would be pretty great for the next couple of years. Might as well just fucking send it. I mean, if the rumors are true last year that we put together a really competitive offer for Brian Reynolds, I would think that Stearns is calling on players like that. Also, another name that apparently is is out there, and I, I don't know if with us trading for Renfro will have any substance, but I guess with Kane's contract being done after next year, uh, Cedric Mullins from Baltimore is also apparently being – uh, or the Orioles are listening to offers on him, he would be another one of those Brian Reynolds type trades. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just like, dude, just thinking of the lineup possibilities, you know, like Colton Wong, put Yelich in the two hole, Renfro three, Olsen four, like Willie can hit five or six. I don't know, it just elongates that lineup so much. Omar would be hitting back there. I mean, dude, it would, it would be a difference maker for sure in that lineup. Luis, yeah. Yeah, Luis, Luis can hit fifth even. Willie can hit six, and he's seeing a bunch of fastballs. I don't know. It's just you dream on getting a guy that hits 275, hits 40-plus home runs, and is an MVP candidate for sure. It really feels like we're one piece away. Um, that's what it feels like. And I don't know if I can ever say that going into a season where I've been – this confident about a world series contending roster going into that year. Um, but that it feels like that's where we're at. And, and I mean, there's another name too, that we haven't mentioned that I don't really know what the team thinks of him. I don't know if he has value, but he's also shown success, extended success at the MLB level. And I don't know what his plan is, but Keshin here is still in our organization. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does this spring or, or what even his value is at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh he'll be a complete wild card. Honestly. Um, he obviously was going through some personal stuff with his mother and whatnot during the season. So who knows, he might have a whole different mentality, get back. I mean, before last season, all the guy ever did was hit. Um, and baseball is kind of a finicky game that way where you can just lose it like that, but he could also gain it back like that too. So you're right. Yeah. Good, good point by you in uh, throwing a Keston here, a shout out there. We declared um, him back so many times last year. Yeah. At least I did. I don't know if you guys did, but I did. 
Oh, me, me and you were at the game and he hit that fucking piss missile against the Rockies. Yeah, he did crush that ball. When he hits it, it's so pretty. Yeah. Um, cool. I think uh, we could kind of end it um, with uh, some depressing lockout talk. Um, but for those of uh, our listeners that don't pay attention closely to the negotiations and uh, why exactly Major League Baseball is at a lockout, um, why if you go to MLB.com, there's blank faces instead of their faces. Uh, we're going to throw it over to, uh, to Mitch L for his lockout soliloquy here um, and what his thoughts are, why it's happening, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think a lot of casual fans know this, so this will be a little bit of a educational storytelling time. Um, but uh, the MLB, I, I don't know when it started. It's been a while, but there is a, essentially just like every league, there's a players union and the owners that meet. Um, and come to an agreement on essentially what is a contract, which they call the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. Um, the last one was set back in the middle of 2000s. I think 2015 it was agreed to. There was no lockout then. Um, so it came to expiration on Wednesday night at 1159. Um, essentially what it is, is um, there is a board or a committee that's appointed by both sides. So from the owner's side, obviously, Manfred, the commissioner, is kind of the lead spokesman there. Um, and it's funny because there are seven owners that are kind of like on the board that are in the meetings. And Mark Antanasio is actually one of them. Um, Steinbrenner is another. But it's just kind of interesting to see Mark being more vocal in, in those negotiations. But from a, the player side, Tony Clark is kind of the MLBPA executive director. He's like the lead voice that leads for them. And then there are players on the board like, uh, Zach Britton, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, uh, Marcus, Marcus Simeon are just a couple to name those. And essentially what they do is um, they're reviewing essentially what the playing contract's going to look like. What are the rules? What are, you know, is a universal DH going to be implemented? Uh, how does the ARB process going to look? And right now the sides are too far on opposite ends that they couldn't come to agreement that essentially the owners implemented a lockout to basically say, Teams cannot talk to players. There can't be trades. There can't even be like, so like if a player's hurt, it can't even use the facility to go rehab or talk to team doctors. I read something crazy like David Stearns couldn't even go to like one of our players' weddings if he wanted to. Like there's literally no contact. So um, it's kind of a, a black eye for baseball. I wouldn't, I'm not nervous yet just because they have three, four months to get this solved. But I will say this, from everything I've been reading, the sides are so far on opposite ends as to what they're asking for. Um, players are obviously pushing to get paid earlier because right now the process is, is a lot of guys don't hit free agency to the, for the first time until they're 28, 29. Um, so I know that's like a big sticking point right now is the players are being asked to pay earlier. And like the owner's kind of big, like, okay, if you give this, what are you going to, or if you want that, what are you going to give up? And it seems like another sticking point is an expanded playoff. Uh, the owners are asking for whether it's 12 teams, 14 teams, they want an expanded playoff, which um, obviously for, for their case, it raises more money or brings them in more money. So there's a lot of talk, talking points. Um, I think personally for me, the biggest thing that I think you can expect is universal DH is 100% going to be implemented. I don't, I think we're done seeing pitchers hitting in the national league, which I think from a majority standpoint, everyone loves that. I don't think there's anyone that still wants to see pitchers hit. 
Um, the second thing that I also do think is going to be implemented, which I just mentioned, is I do think there will be an expanded playoff. I think that's one thing the players that are going to have to give up, which kind of stinks in a sense because baseball is unique in that standpoint where it's really limited to only good teams being in the playoffs where every other sport, usually the eighth seed for basketball is like above or right at 500 or just below football is kind of getting to that point too. So I did like that about baseball, but like I said, the the ends are so far apart that they're both going to have to give up things to get things that they want. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good rundown there. Um, I guess the only reason I would be nervous is because I, I just think Rob Manfred is the worst commissioner in uh, any major sport. Um, that's that's the reason for my concern. But I hope it I hope they resolve it quickly. Um, it does suck. It is. I mean, it's just like a bunch of pissed off people. You don't want to see your players mad. The owners mad. But it's like I hope they come to a resolution that you know they they give the players somewhat of what they're looking for here. Because they're why we watch the game, not the owners. Did you see his article or his, uh, yeah, his article today that MLB released that basically was like blaming the players, uh, saying we've been giving out big contracts. We're the only sport that gives out guaranteed contracts, and basically saying that the players are the greedy ones. I did. It just like you're just making a whole, you're making your entire league upset. Really, uh, I mean, just keep that behind closed doors. Everyone knows what's going on. Hey, Manfred's mad about the money and he's throwing out two different kinds of baseballs mid season. <laughs> yeah. That, that story, if that's real, there's going to be, I mean, you would think there'd be some major consequences. Uh, I jokingly texted you guys, like I want all my over under bets refunded from the baseball season. Cause apparently like when they went and played those games in Iowa or like those games overseas um, Sunday night baseball, they would throw out the juiced balls to, essentially put on a show for the for the crowd and everyone watching um and then you throw on like a royals mariners game on like a wednesday afternoon and the score is two to zero because they deadened they gave them the deadened baseballs it's like there's there's no place um that that should be ever be a thing in at the major league level it's just insane yeah, it's I, I don't even understand the reasoning there. Like if you're trying to put on a show, then just use the juiced baseballs everywhere. Um, it yeah. really doesn't make too much sense to me. Or if they was like trying to be sneaky about it, I don't know, but it's it's just foolish. I mean, come up with a baseball that the players all agree upon and just use that. I mean, it's it's genuinely crazy that that's even a story out there. Here's a thing for you guys that we can do a little bit of round table because I want to get your opinions. And I think this is also another sticking point. And I think it's fair because I think there, there is an issue here. I don't know how you solve it. Um, Cause I'm not trying to penalize the teams that do spend money on their payrolls, but what do you think is implemented or what should be implemented to close the gap between the teams that are spending $40 million on their payroll to the teams that are spending $270 million on their payroll? Are you, are you saying like there has to be like a minimum you have to spend? Yeah. Do you think there should be a floor? Do you think there should be a stiffer penalty? If there is a floor, should there be a stiffer penalty to say, if you go over $200 million, you pay, you have to give up this or pay this, or is there a cap? How do you essentially from a payroll perspective, get it to be more of a competitive balance? I think you have to have a higher, I mean, there's no floor, but I think you have to have a higher floor for teams to hit each year to like field a baseball team. 
Because, I mean, that's going to create more jobs and more people are going to, or more players are going to be happier because they're getting money. Right. And and I think maybe the answer to that and something they need to look at is doing a more proportional revenue sharing. Because it's like, I, I think all of the owners, there's no reason why Baltimore and Cleveland can't have $100 million payrolls. At the same point, too, it's also easy to realize, hey, the L, you look at the LA TV deal of $800 million, and then you look at the smaller market TV deals that are nowhere near that, it's probably easy to point why a team like LA would be able to spend more. Not saying that the, you know, the teams in the smaller market shouldn't spend, but there's easy to see that there's a different, there's a very massive disproportion revenue problem as well. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not smart enough to know the answer, to be honest or even throw out ideas. I mean, you're never going to see a salary cap, right? I mean, like they're the only, if you look at the NHL, NBA, NFL, all of those major United States sports all have salary caps. I mean, the baseball is more similar to soccer in regards to like, however rich your club is or owner is of your club. Like that's what your payroll is really. (laughs) It feels like as soon as, baseball went to uh, a no salary cap that it was never going to leave. But maybe if you do go to a cap, you implement a salary floor. That's really high because I don't believe other leagues have a salary floor. I was looking at the NBA and it looks like there's, even though the NBA has a salary cap, there's still a pretty big discrepancy from the top end to the bottom end. Like golden state spends like 170 million on their payroll and OKC is like 60 so there's no floor there, but there is a cap. So maybe that's how you meet in the middle to like, okay, you can't go over $240 million, but teams have to spend a hundred million or something like that. I mean, I think it's kind of hard to, for teams to spend a bunch of money, like the lower end teams. I mean, attendance wise, like Miami, Oakland, and Tampa Bay are averaging like less than 10,000 fans a night. Yeah. And like, and that's, that's not great. <laughs> not at all. I mean, they're, playing in front of four fucking people yeah. and i mean if you're forced to spend money you're going to probably draw bigger crowds i mean who knows with the marlins but i will say one thing i hope they figure out and i hope the big brains of mlb offices can figure this out on the blackout or on the uh lockout um is blackouts with like mlb tv um and you know highlight sharing um and all that stuff all the new age stuff is like hike up the price of MLB TV and like be able to watch your hometown team on, on the app. Like, yeah, it's like, it's a good deal for the summer um, to watch out of market games. Why not increase that by a couple, two, three times as much and be able to watch all the Brewers games. So, you know, we're not spending 95 bucks a month on AT&T TV just to get Bali sports. Right. Like right. there's, there's gotta be something they can do with that. Cause NBA, I think NBA is actually the same way if you get their NBA TV package. So I don't know if they could get around it, but it's, it's something I would like to see. It's always so nice when you're out of state. Like if I'm visiting like Illinois, Arizona, Florida, like just to be able to turn on MLB.tv and turn on the Brewer game that way. It's so simple. <laughs> But who know who knows if that's even going to be a talk? It, I don't even know if that's part of the lockout discussions. Probably not. But uh, just my wish list there. 
Yeah, you would think that there would be a very, you would think it wouldn't be that hard of a problem to solve is to to market your best players, but it seems like MLB is just far worse at doing that. And part of that comes with blackouts and not being able to watch, um, you know, those superstars on a regular basis. Or share the highlights on Twitter without getting copyright violations <laughs> right. and all, all the above. Right. Oh, cool. I think this is a, a good, nice, long podcast uh, for day one or two of the MLB lockout. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else before we uh, kind of hang this one up? I think we'll kind of just go as there's significant news. Um, we might come up with some different ideas for, for pods during the lockout, but uh, that's still TBD. Anything else from you guys, though? Yeah, no, I mean, there might be a little bit of a gap here because I have a feeling that the at least initially there probably won't be a lot of movement. Um, but, right. yeah, we'll, we'll think of things, maybe get some more interviews, uh, work on some leads there. Um, our boy will probably come back on the pod soon. So, Yeah, and he's still writing good articles, had another couple on the trade. Um, so I guess enjoy uh, the Bucks, the Packers. Big showdown, Wisconsin Marquette on Saturday. Um, I know Mitchell will be watching that game closely, ready to, to rip people's throats out on a nice Saturday morning um, in the state of Wisconsin. So tune in for that. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, this is fun. Let's cook. Let's cook. Let's cook, baby. Nobody on the road. Nobody on the beach.